I'm really, really glad that I was sick last week. I'm not really glad about this congestion stuff this week, but I'm glad I was sick last week because that allowed my friend Travis time to build this image that uh, we're going to be using as kind of the backdrop. Uh, Travis is really good with computers, and my friend Rob actually posted it. So I, I stole it from two different guys. So uh, if they're tuning in, great. If not, you know, I've already told them, hey, I'm stealing that. So, <clears throat> But the series we're going to begin today is simply titled Identity. And as, as I began preparing for this, uh, if, if you look at our world... And, and look at the, the struggles of this generation of people. It's mostly bound up in identity. And, and you, you can't, uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to step on toes, but uh, it's going to happen. And uh, I'm just praying more than anything, the word of God goes forth. And if the word of God offends you, then you're wrong. And it's pretty cut and dry. The, the Word of God says what the Word of God says. But <clears throat> the, the problem with this era of time is that the enemy has done a great job of making us believe that our identity is found in, in multiple places instead of singled down into... And, and the church is who I want to deal with primarily. If you're not finding your identity in the Word of God, then everything you believe about yourself is probably a lie. And if your identity is not rooted in Christ, it's rooted somewhere else, then that is why you struggle with the Word of God. That is why you struggle with believing God could love you. That is why you struggle with believing God's promises are for you. Because you have your identity rooted somewhere outside of the, the Word of God. And, and we see that a lot of different ways. And like always, I, I tend to tie a lot of this back to spiritual warfare because this is a, a very clear-cut tactic of the enemy and if you go back to Genesis which is really fresh in my mind because we covered the the story of Adam and Eve in the garden with our children and the the whole root of deception that the the serpent used to get Eve to partake of the fruit was based in identity if you eat this fruit you'll be like God you'll be more like him and that was the subtle trick was, you know, you were ultimately made to be like God. You were made in the image of God. So if you'll eat this fruit, you'll be even more like him. Sounds really good, doesn't it? It's not that far off from the little tugs at our identity that the, the enemy still uses. And because of that, I stole a quote from a great philosopher of history, Sun Tzu, in the Art of War, he writes this, Know the enemy and know yourself, and in a hundred battles you will never be in peril. When you are ignorant of the enemy but know yourself, the chances of winning and losing are equal. 
If ignorant of both your enemy and yourself, you are certain in every battle to be in peril. And for some of the people in the room that are supposed to be taking notes that I'm looking out here and they're not taking notes, peril means that you're going to be in distress or trouble. If you're not taking notes, I'm going to get them back. It's okay. But the enemy wants to define for you who you are. And he likes to tie your identity into things you do, places you go, and we'll look at some of those, okay? And the heart of this is the enemy tries to get you to define yourself in ways you were never intended to by God. Number one, you are what you eat. Anybody ever heard that before? Uh, I, I'll tell you, there's an element of truth to this. If you eat unhealthy, you're probably unhealthy. But I eat a lot of beef. That does in no way make me desire to go out in the yard and graze on grass. Uh, I eat shrimp. And I'm telling you, if I started to really describe for you in detail what shrimp eat, you would never eat it again. So I won't ruin shrimp for anyone in the room today. <clears throat> I, I eat way too many desserts still. Okay, and <clears throat> Stephanie, I put that picture of those cinnamon rolls up there just for you because, oh, I hurt myself on those bad boys. And, you know, <clears throat> that steak's just a little underdone for me, but it's not far off. Okay. But... <clears throat> How many of us would really, you know, you get drawn into that war where you define yourself by what you eat or what you don't? You, you run into these people every day that, you know, well, I'm, you know, <clears throat> I'm, and, and you'll hear this, I'm diabetic, so I can't eat that. Or I have high blood pressure, I can't eat that. They start to find their identity in a diagnosis that's related to food. I'm vegetarian. I can't eat that. I'm vegan. Well, bless your heart. You know, I... How many of us find our identity in that? I mean, I guess I identify as a carnivore who is, who is struggling with an addiction to sugar. You know, I, I could identify myself by what I eat. A lot of people find their identity in what they do for a living. I, I just picked on me here, okay? It, it's very easy for me to get myself wrapped up in my identity as a coach. And, and I got to, to watch the, the farewell tribute from Duke University to Mike Krzyzewski last night. And I, I kept yelling at people in the house, be quiet, I want to hear this, I want to hear this. Because... He has coached at Duke my entire lifetime. 42 years doing the same thing. You, you can't tell me that Mike Krzyzewski's identity is not closely tied to what he does. And, and just listening to him speak, the, there, there's a lot of his identity is wrapped up in, in what he does. And I was really grateful to hear him say that 
you know, my kids never said I love basketball more than them. But they never, they never go without saying I love basketball. And, and, you know, my goal at the end of my life is I want my children to know without a doubt that I love Jesus more than them. But I love them. I want them to never be in doubt that I love Jesus more than I love them. Because when I'm, when I'm dead and gone, that's where they're going to find their comfort is Daddy knew Jesus. Daddy loved Jesus. And if they know Jesus, they know Jesus loved Daddy. And there's no doubt of where Daddy is when He's not on this earth. And if Jesus loved Daddy in spite of all His screw-ups, Jesus could love me too. You are what you do for fun. Anybody ever heard somebody reference this? Oh, he's a, he's a fisherman. Oh, that guy, he's a golfer. Or, or oh, you know, that guy, he's a reader. You, you don't hear that one about guys very often. Hey, that guy, he's a shooter. You know, he, he's really good with a gun. That guy, you know, I'm sorry, ladies, I'm not throwing out a lot of lady things because, you know, I, I don't know that every woman who bakes just loves to bake or every woman who shoots guns just loves to shoot guns. I don't know. I don't know the Annie Oakleys in the room. I hope there's a bunch of you. If we ever get invaded, I want... I want you to line it up to get guns from the government too. But, oh, oh, he's a weightlifter. Oh, he's a video gamer. Oh, they're softball players. A lot of times we find our identity in what we do. You are where you live. I, I believe we're in one of the greatest parts of the country in the world. I've visited other places that are nice to visit, but they're not home. I love the mountains. The mountains are still calling me. You know, <clears throat> there, there's times I wish that those were the calls I get on my phone instead of, hey, your airbag's going to kill you. <laughs> or the blood supply is low. Or, hey, have you thought about this insurance? But you are where you live. Uh, you know, right now we're living in the lower corner where it's the trailer house, but the, the plans for the house are coming along at about the speed they should. Because uh, oil and gas are not the only things that are getting real expensive right now. Uh, we may just be living in the house with studs for a few years. Denise is giving me the look like, no. <laughs> but you are where you live. You're defined by who your family is. Ooh, ooh, I'm gonna get in trouble here, but it's okay. <clears throat> There's a lot of reality behind that meme, just so we know. But uh, it, when people look at your family, a lot of times they define you by who your family is. 
you know, the, a lot of people define themselves by who their family was. If, if mom and dad divorced, then, then that opens a door. I'm, I'm just going to be just like them. I can divorce. Or if mom and dad stayed together and stayed married, then it's expected I should be really selective about who I marry because it's still death do us part. Not murder, but death. <clears throat> Especially with the slide up, I have to mention that. Uh, but by who your family was. You know, if dad was an alcoholic, then, then you have an excuse, according to society, why you are the way you are. If mom or dad was abusive, you have an excuse as to why you are the way you are. If you were neglected, you were abandoned, you were orphaned. You have all of these excuses built in according to society to just ingrain them into your identity and that's who you become. That's not at all who God intended you to be. And, and over the, the next few weeks, we're going to start unpacking who the Word of God says you are. And, and when you start to take ownership of who the Word of God says you are, it becomes much easier to identify with the Word of God and its place in your life. If all of those other things we mentioned went away, who are you then? And the best, the best way that I could picture all of that going away is if you got sent to prison. Who are you then? Because you're, you're no longer where you live. I really hope you're not what you eat in prison. You, you no longer get to do what you used to do. All of those things are no longer there to define you, but that is this column is who the world tells you you have to be defined by. And, and we could go much deeper into it. The world is saying now you can define yourself. You can ignore the laws of basic biology and decide who you're going to be. You can, you can deny the, the original intent for two genders because now you can just clearly decide and define who you are and you can love whoever you want to love because we're going to take what love is and just twist it into physical relationship. We're going we're gonna to take and, and twist the beautiful gift of intimacy and, and turn it into an identity that was never intended. It's actually directly in opposition to the Word of God. And, and I will never back down from that. People are trying to deconstruct their faith and, and reconstruct what the Word of God says to fit today's society. The Word of God does not care about what your society thinks. The Word of God is the absolute authority in the life of every believer, and it doesn't care what the world tries to identify as. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What, what a beautiful thought to just interject right there. That... No matter what you're, you're tying your identity to right now, 
God wants to tie your identity to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you begin to to find yourself in Him and let Him tell you who you are, a lot of this other stuff that used to matter just kind of disappears a little bit. This time of year, I always always try to go to the state tournament. didn't work out again. But I love going there just for the feelings and the memories that I have at the state tournament. Uh, I'm very blessed to be a two-time state champ in basketball. I was on the boys team from Laverne that, that won it in 97. And then 10 years later, I was an assistant coach for a girls team in Texas that won it. And, you know, for the rest of my life, I can hang my identity on that. As a basketball coach and player, you know, I'm a two-time state champ. Here's the reality, nobody cares. Nobody cares that you won a state championship in 1997. Nobody cares that you went 29 and out. In the profession of teaching and coaching, they care what you did this year. And when this year is over, they start caring about what you're going to do next year if they're going to keep you around. Or they're caring about how they can get rid of you. Either way, that's the nature of the business. If I locked my identity into that, how miserable would my life be? Because the last time I was who I was was 2007, 2008, that area. What a miserable identity. If it all goes away, who are you then? That brings us to who does Jesus identify you as? How does he identify you? And if we were going to go to the basics of it, and I'm not preaching this to a room full of unbelievers. And, and let me tell you, if, if you're an unbeliever that's catching us online, or if I'm wrong about somebody in the room, I want you to understand this first and foremost, that Jesus sees you as redeemable. And we'll talk about that in a, in a couple of weeks. But Jesus saw you as worth the price of his own life on the cross. And to us in the room who understand that, because we understand that, because we accept it, because we believe that, Jesus Christ sees you as a friend. In James chapter 2, and James ought to know he's the brother of Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 23. James is talking about Abraham and he says, And so it happens just as the scripture said. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. A lot of people think, you know, it was just New Testament people who became friends with God. I want you to understand that God had very deep friendships with men all throughout history. And the reason those people were friends with God was because of righteousness. Abraham, his friendship with God was deeply rooted in righteousness, which is right standing with God, where you're trying to live out by the commands of God. 
Abraham's one of those great stories of, of the Old Testament because Abraham, what was counted to him as righteousness was just simple obedience. God said, I'm going to move you to a land that you don't know. And Abraham said, let's do it. Packing the bags, let's go. That, that was the first thing that Abraham did. A lot of people like to go on further in life where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son because God told him to. His first act of obedience was just going to a place he didn't know where he was going. So the next time one of you ladies tell your husband to pull over and get directions, remember Abraham. First guy in history that was going somewhere where he didn't have the directions. And he did just fine. He was a friend of God. When your husband is lost, on the way to some place he's never been, he's never been closer to God than that moment. Maybe because you're about to kill him? I don't know. But uh, my wife's giving me the look like, get back on task. <clears throat> but Abraham was counted as a friend of God. And Jesus in John chapter 15 Beginning in the 12th verse, Jesus spends a, a great chunk of one of his last messages to his disciples before he would go to the cross, talking about friendship. And this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. And I didn't put verse 16 on there, but I, we're, we're going to hit verse 16 in a, in a little while in this series. But you didn't choose me, I chose you. You know, we... <clears throat> One of the things that I, I work really hard with our children on is being very selective of who you call friend. Because uh, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And, and my, my kids probably hate hearing that. But it, it's a reality. If, if you hang out with people who just want to make trouble and get into trouble... That's the path you're headed down. If you hang out with people who, who try to make themselves better people every day, you're going to be a person who tries to make yourself a better person every day. The, there's a, a Western movie that you know hit, really hit its stride when I was in my late teens. and Don't, don't get offended if, if it's too rough a movie for you, but the movie Tombstone... And, and there's a, a conversation that just before the big gun battle of, <clears throat> is going on and, and somebody asked Doc Holliday, why, you know, you can barely stand up. You're, you look like a dead man walking. Why are you going to this gunfight? And he says, because Wyatt Earp is my friend. And... And this guy says, well, that's a dumb reason to go. I got lots of friends. And he looks at him and says, well, I don't. I want you to understand that, that as Christians, God calls us friend. When, when you 
accept that Jesus Christ sacrificed His life for you, you become a friend of God. And before that, God's still friendly to you. But there's a difference between being friendly to someone and being their friend. If the only friend I have in this life is Jesus, I've done pretty well. Fortunately, I'm blessed to know lots of people who know and love Jesus, and because of that, I've become friends with them. Jesus spells it out really clearly. You are my friend if you do what I've commanded you. And he made the commands very simple. You want to be a friend of God, it's very, very easy. Love God and love people. And loving them sometimes means loving them enough to tell them the truth. Other times it means loving them enough to keep your mouth shut. And thankfully God gives us the Holy Spirit to tell us which is which. If you find yourself putting your foot in your mouth often, it's because you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. Discernment is a gift that tells you when to open your mouth and when to close it. But this morning, as we, as we bring this, this time in the Word to a close, I want you to just focus on this thought. The world will call you this but I have called you friends. And, and that's not taking Scripture out of context at all. Because the world is always going to try and help you identify yourself in a way that pulls you away from God. I can't think of any identity I'd rather have than to be a friend of God. Because if I'm friends with God... There's nothing you could use against me in this world. There's not an identity in this world that you could tie me to that is more important than the friendship of Jesus. You can't take me back to a sin that He sets me free from. You can't engraft into my identity my sinful past because... When He forgives me of my sin, He casts it as far as the east is from the west to remember it no more. What a powerful friendship that, that even in times of my life where I was mocking and, and, and disrespectful and rude and, and detracting from who He was in the eyes of other people, he still loved me and was willing to forgive me and call me friend. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. And he doesn't care how many times I mess it up. He's always willing to let me come back. Because he said it he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
And he called me friend. This morning as we as we bring this service to a close, I, I told you that we we were going to start just making a little bit of time at the end of every service for you to just have a, a quiet few moments where you can you can come up in the front near the altars and pray or you can pray in your pews but we just want to give you a chance to to have some quiet time alone with God with us reflecting on his word and 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 if you need special prayer give us a chance to pray with you because I, I, I personally feel like we have neglected that at times. And it's one thing to, to say your prayer request, but biblically by Scripture, we're called, if any of you is sick, to come and let the elders lay their hands on you, that you would be healed. That, that is scriptural. I'm not saying that that's got to be ceremonial or habit or ritual. I'm saying that is scriptural. And we want to give you those opportunities. So this morning, if you would like to, and, and we're just going to wait a few moments, but if you want to come and pray, the altars are open. Heavenly Father, thank you for time in your word this morning. And Lord, for the undeniable truth of who you say we are. Lord, we just ask that you would go with us throughout our week and just continually bring your word to mind. Lord, as, as we spend time in our, our own quiet time with you, that you would just continue to reaffirm our identity in you. And Lord, as we go through this series, Father, I pray that it will firmly root in our hearts and our minds who we are to you. And that that's where we find our identity. And from that place, we turn and, and go and work and build your kingdom and change this world. Lord, that we could be like the apostles in Acts that turned the entire world upside down. Lord, thank you again for your word and that you have called us friends. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.